The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Swing and a miss. And Marco dials in a beauty of a changeup. You're listening to Rum Buncher Radio. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a Pittsburgh Pirate. Well, no, he's not. But there's been some fun discussions this offseason already about trade rumors. That one, uh, I don't think anybody really believed it. It was short-lived. But there's been some other ones that were a lot more realistic, like Marco Gonzalez. He now is a Pittsburgh Pirate following the winter meetings. We're going to get into all of that tonight. Break down these winter meetings of 2023. Uh, Talk about the Rule 5 draft, about what went down for the Pirates as far as trades, what it's now going to set up for for the rest of this offseason. Some other little news and notes. TV deal the Pirates trying to sort out before the start of the 2024 season. Jim Leland, Hall of Famer, uh, and so much more to talk about as we get into the episode tonight. Marty Leap, Noah Wright, Trey Yannity with you here on this episode. Guys, go follow us on Twitter, at Rumbunter, if you've not done so already. Uh, you can follow along all the action in real time there on Twitter and on our website as well, rumbunter.com. The gentleman we have on tonight, Noah Wright, one of our amazing staff writers with articles out on the Rule 5 draft, on Marco Gonzalez, and uh, on what's to come for the rest of this offseason. Noah, excited to have you back on the podcast. How is uh, how's this winter treating you so far? Well, winter's been interesting so far for me. A lot of stuff going on, but uh, I'm here and having fun, so that's what matters. <laughs> Excellent. We are going to have a lot of fun tonight. Uh, Marty was telling me before the episode started some snowfall already going down in Pennsylvania, as you'd expect. We're into the month of December. Marty, I know you are a snow plowing master. How is your winter going so far? Yeah, not too bad. You know, just uh, keeping it busy. And my fellow teachers out there, you know, we're, we're looking forward to Christmas break here in a few weeks. Uh, even though this year's one of those crappy Christmas breaks where Christmas falls on a Monday. So we only get that week and, um, Maybe a day or two the following week, but uh, no, yeah, so far so good. You know, it just never slows down in, in, in my world. The uh, kids wrap up football just in time to start wrestling season, so it's, uh, it's nonstop. And yeah, but hey, that's that's wouldn't want it any way. Just excited to uh, have some baseball to talk about here coming out of the winter meetings, and uh, yeah, and I will say too, Trey, that going into the winter as someone who some friends of mine called me quote unquote, a madman back in August when I put some money on your crimson tide to win it all. Keeping that ticket alive for me. So, well, you're not a madman in my heart. I don't think anybody's a madman. If they put some money on Nick Saban and uh, this Alabama team, 
you know, we got a college football play, playoff coming up. I see uh, some Steelers <laughs> going on behind you there, Marty. As we record a late night run bunch of radio on this Thursday night, you might be listening to us on a Friday or maybe a little bit later on. Uh, but it was Sunday that the winter meeting started. And like you said, Marty, we have baseball to talk about. This is really when the offseason truly kicks up the winter meetings. This winter meeting's maybe not as intense or, uh, you know, as. Uh, important as a couple of the last few that we've had here, but, um, you know, a fun one, I think overall in Nashville here where I'm based out of. So just down the road, uh, good stuff there as well. Um, but let's, let's start by talking about our top of the trolley here. We did this throughout the season, kind of highlighting the best part of the week or, you know, our favorite moment from what went down that week in Pirates baseball from the end of the 2023 season until now we're a couple days after the winter meetings, what has been, Marty, your favorite part of this offseason so far? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here. I think my favorite part of the offseason, after a few offseasons them not having it, is the Pirates announcing that they're going to bring Pirate Fest back this year. Um, for anyone listening who may not know, Pirate Fest is essentially their offseason fan fest. They, they did it forever. Um, then COVID happened. It fell to the wayside. I'm pretty certain this is the first time they've done it since COVID. Um, always a good time. You know, I always enjoyed going when I was younger. Now as a dad, it's fun to go with my dad. We take the boys, we go, it's the time, you know, you interacting with players, autographs, and things for the kids to do. And nothing else, get that little bit of baseball injected into your veins in January is always fun. Um, and, and the returning it to January this year is nice also. Um, in the past, it, it was always the the weekend between conference championship weekend and the Super Bowl. And it was nice because you'd get through that. And then probably within about 10 days or so, you had pitchers and catchers reporting to Bradenton. Now, this year it's January 6th. Not that late in January. But better than those couple years than I did in December. Because once you come out of that, your baseball juices are flowing. You're ready for baseball. Um, so, yeah, that, I'm excited to have that back. Excited to be down there in about a month or so to check that out. And just, you know, as, even if you're not a Pirate fan, just a fan of baseball. You know, I, it doesn't matter if it's – Pirate Fest or for the Cincinnati Reds or the Cleveland Guardians, whoever it may be. Whenever you're a baseball fan and you're in the early or mid-January and you can get some baseball pumped into your veins, you're going to take it. So I'm excited to get that back this offseason. Gets you in the spirit. I mean, you got to be around people wearing the same colors, supporting the team. In the offseason, it really does gear you up there. Uh, should be a riot at Pirates Fest this year. Noah, uh, what has been your favorite part of this offseason so far? I'm going to have to agree with Marty that uh, seeing Pirate Fest come back is definitely my highlight, though, so far. I have a lot. I went a lot of times when I I went every year from 2013 to 2018, and I had fun every time. I, I kind of regret I didn't go into 2019 because I obviously I didn't know that COVID would happen and everything would shut down for years, and I wouldn't have to have it again for like another five years or something like that. So I kind of regret not going then, but I'm happy to go back again this this uh, this, this uh, January, and uh, I always remember Pyre Fest in 2013. The first one I went to was uh, the first time I ever got an in-person autograph from an MLB player. It was uh, Tony Sanchez. <laughs> oh man! Saw that ball on my uh, mantle. <laughs> well, while we're, while we're speaking of catchers and yes. Pyre Fest, I will say, good friend of the podcast, and and I've joked with Michael about this a couple of times because he and I have become friends over the pod. Um, it was Pirate Fest following that 2011 season when Michael McHenry first broke into the majors. And I used to have friends who 
joked with me that I looked like Michael McHenry. And I, if you take the beard off, which at the time I'd never beard, I kind of really did. And we're about the same height and about the same build. I come walking out of the bathroom as Michael was walking in. And I struck up a conversation with him and we just kind of talked about baseball and stuff for a few minutes. But looking back on that now, I laugh just because Michael has become a good friend of the podcast. He has become someone I consider a friend, someone who anytime I'm at PNC Park, I go find him. We talk and it, it's just he and I have talked about that a couple of times and it always it always provides some good laughs. I look back on that moment now of I'm walking out of the bathroom, just walking in, and little did we know that that was going to be the spark of a uh, a great friendship here at Rumbucker Radio. I love it. I feel like I could see it. I haven't really thought about that, but uh, yeah, Beerless Marty, that's uh, that's Michael McHenry there. Uh, <laughs> while we're on it, Marty, do you remember your first autograph? Let's say from a pirate, even. My first, oh man, I can't. I don't remember getting it. I do remember being younger and having a baseball autograph by Jason Kendall. I can't say I remember actually getting it autographed. Still counts. Yeah, I was probably like six or seven when it occurred. Um, maybe a little bit older, depending on the year. But um, I think the first time I remember getting an autograph in person, the Pirates used to do, I mean, they still do it now, but they still call it the Pirates Caravan, but now it's care like C-A-R-E. They'll go to like schools nursing homes, things of that nature. But it used to be the caravan, like a traveling. And they would go to like malls and things like that. And the, and the, the shopping mall, the Johnstown Gallery here in Johnstown, we come there every year. And when I was probably like, oh boy, when was this? This would have been like 04, 05, so, like or so um, getting an autograph. Solomon Torres. That was the first one I can say. I remember um, if you're listening to this and you're either a younger pilot or whatever it may be and you don't know who Solomon Torres is, I don't blame you. You're not missing much. But, um, yeah, that's one of the first ones I can Solomon Torres, John Grabo, and I think it, it, was, it was quite the uh, collection at the Johnstown Gallery that day. It was probably like 04, 05. So I was probably like 12, 13, 14, somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, yeah, that's the first one I can remember getting in person. Man, what a what a story too there. I love it with the caravan. Yeah, I think uh if I had to remember back, I think Clint Barmas in Cincinnati was my very first Pirates autograph. Um, told him good game. He didn't play that night. That was 2011, I believe. Uh, the Pirates were chasing a pennant. Uh, didn't quite get there, uh, but a, a fun season and, and a fun memory with Clint Barmas, uh, who will always go down as, as one of my most beloved pirates from those times. Listen, people can say they went about Clint Barmas, but that 2013 season and 2014, when he would come to bat and had Don't Stop Believing is his walk-up music, every single person in PNC Park sang along, and it was so much fun. I don't care. You can, people can badmouth Clint Barmas all they want. He was on two of the best teams in Pirate history. He was here for two of the most memorable seasons in Pirate history and played a role in it with Don't Stop Believing as his walk-up music. So, yeah, sucker Clint Barmas haters. <laughs> there's superstars, then there's role players. Clint Barmas is a superstar. No, it's, uh, it's fun to reflect on it, but let's reflect on these winter meetings a little bit. Um, we can start kind of general if you gentlemen would like. It was uh, an interesting winter meetings as a whole. Um, you know, the Pirates active, of course, here with one of, I'd say, maybe the top 10 most exciting moves uh, in Major League Baseball at the winter meetings. And let's start there. Marco Gonzalez. Now, uh, Marty made a good point before we started. Atlanta will be paying 
nine and a half, I believe somewhere around that number out of the 12 million of his contract. It is multi-year. And this is a guy with a high ceiling that has dealt with injury, but a guy you get excited about because he will be, you know, an immediate, uh, a guy that you, you turn to immediately in Pittsburgh. No, you want to get us started here. What was your first thought when you saw the Pirates that acquired Marco Gonzalez? Yeah, so I've been looking at Gonzalez for a while, and you, I mean, he's what the Pirates need right now. He's a solid guy who can soak up innings. He had the 11th most innings pitched and 12th most starts from 2018 to 2022. And he was also one of only seven pitchers in, in that five-year stretch who had at least 130 starts and an ERA under four. I mean, he was at 391. And I know ERA isn't always the be-all, end-all when you're looking at, you know, projecting someone or looking ahead of what they're going to do in the future. But, hey, I mean, you're going to get someone who isn't going to be a bad pitcher. He's going to be, you know, maybe a number three kind of pitcher, maybe like a higher-end number four. And he's someone that could also give you 30 starts and 180 innings. And for a Pirate team that, you know, it's like it feels like we're going on – they were by the seat of their pants in the second half of the season. Their current starting pitching staff feels like we have no idea who's going to be in the rotation right now. It's nice to get someone there who you can be like, hey, we got a decent pitcher. He's not going to, you know, this isn't just like someone who's only there to soak up innings. This isn't like when this isn't like uh, Kyle Gibson when the Cardinals signed him. It's like, yeah, he's going to soak up innings, but he's also going to give you like a five ERA approaching five. No, this is someone who's going to give you an ERA in the low fours, maybe high threes, and he's still going to give you all those innings and game started. Yeah, Marty, your thoughts on it? Uh, you know, it's required desperately needing left-handed pitching heading into 2024. Uh, looks like we got one here. Yeah, first off, you mentioned the lefty, which is big. The way PNC Park is built with that big left field, um, it's built for left-handed pitchers. And, you know, right now the only – the only option on the 40-man roster in terms of left-handed pitching in the opening day starting rotation is Bailey Falter. I don't think any of us want to see that. So uh, getting Gonzalez here is nice for that. And on top of that, you know, you know Noah, you mentioned <clears> – <throat> excuse me. It's not just that he's going to be able to give you innings. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm kicking a cold that I've been battling earlier in a week. And nah, it's, it's cold yeah, season. You're good. It really is. That, that's why Nick Caparoso is not making this a, a quartet here tonight because apparently somehow I managed to pass that along to him even though – you know, 60 miles up the road, I managed to kick it to him. But, uh, yeah, um, he's not just going to give you innings and starts, which they need badly. They need badly. Like you said, coming, what, from middle of July on last year, they essentially had two starting pitchers once Rich Hill was traded. Um, so they need the innings and the starts. He's going to give you quality innings and starts. I know his numbers last year don't look pretty. Um, Ten starts, the forearm issue, ERA over five. But if you break it down – and I, I know it's not always fair to this for players, but when it's a 10 game sample size, we can break it down a little bit because the outliers are going down the way too fast. He had two starts by Boston on May 17th, and the other start I'm referencing came against Toronto on April 30th. In those two starts, he gave up 13 earned runs. That was almost half of the earned runs he gave up last year. So two blow up starts really derailed his numbers and when you make only 10 starts those two blow up starts are going to shine through you know had he made his usual 30 starts by the end of the year that era is probably down like you said no low fours high three now is that going to fix a lot of things for the pirates yes and no i mean it's going to give them what they need but marco gonzalez if healthy is a very solid middle to back of the rotation arm 
So that that's a start. They needed that. You know, I understand people clamoring for them to do more for the starting rotation. I'm right there with all those people. They need to do more for the starting rotation. If opening day was tomorrow, your starting rotation would be Mitch Keller, Marco Gonzalez, and pray like hell for rain the next three days. But um, it, it's a start. It, you go out, you get Gonzalez. And one thing I like about Gonzalez, and we talked about this off air before we started, he's controllable. This isn't a rental guy. He's under team control through this season. He has a club option. Um, or excuse me, he's under team control through next season, then has a club option. So they could get time out of Gonzalez. This isn't a rental piece. And that's something that also is important because if Gonzalez does get healthy and pitch the way he's pitched most of his career, that's a really solid piece that you can help build around these next couple of years as you hopefully build your way towards contention. So again, there's more work to be done with the starting rotation. I'm sure they'll add more to the starting rotation, but getting Nick or getting a Nick Gonzalez, my goodness, getting Marco Gonzalez is a good start, especially when you consider what they gave up. Like the Braves are eating a lot of this contract. So since the Braves are eating this contract, the player to be named later is probably going to be a little bit of a higher end of a prospect than we would have liked, but we're not going to be talking about any like top 10 to 15 guy here. You know, you're going to be looking at someone who, probably like a high ceiling, low floor waiver flyer kind of prospect for Atlanta. So a worthwhile trade you gave up, you're probably going to prove to give up nothing and potentially get a really solid number three or number four starting pitcher in return. It's a good trade by Ben Charrington. Um, and if you've got me saying it's a good trade by Ben Charrington, you know, it's a good trade by Ben Charrington, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a good step in the right direction for the starting rotation. Again, you need to do more. You've got to get more to go with Mitch Keller and Marco Gonzalez, because you can't go into the start in the regular season with those two. And then like some combination of Luis Ortiz and Quinn Priester and Ronzi Contreras and Bailey Falter. Cause that's a recipe for disaster um, to go with, have to go with more than one of those guys, but definitely a step in the right direction. It was good to see them be aggressive. And, you know, when, when Gonzalez was traded from Seattle to Atlanta, I remember thinking, I think I've said on Twitter, it's like, man, that, that's a trade the Pirates could have made. There's no reason they couldn't have gone and got Gonzalez and Jared Klenick. Um, and while I still would love to have Jared Klenick, don't get me wrong, um, getting Gonzalez out of that still worked out pretty well for the Pirates. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it's a very reasonable move. I think, like you said, both are extremely reasonable move. And uh, props to Ben Sherrington here on this one. Noah, uh, I know you had uh, a lot of speculation about this before it happened. Anything else you wanted to add to Marco Gonzalez? Or, you know, maybe if you had any projections of who that player to be named is going to be. Yeah, I was going to say that the player to be named later, I'd think i would assume that would be just like kind of a mid-tier guy like marty said maybe someone with a high kind of a riskier one high ceiling low floor but and i would just, i would guess that would be a pitching prospect because the pirates have a lot of pitcher pitching prospects right now and that's a big thing that they're relying on right now is all these young guys like Skeens and Solomito and jones to event come up this year and hopefully you know, take hold of a rotation spot. But again, I don't think they're, I don't think any, obviously I don't think any of them are going to be involved in this trade. I don't think someone like Bubba Chandler or Thomas Harrington is going to be involved in this trade, but maybe a mid tier guy uh, would be involved. But something I also like with, uh, something I also like with Gonzalez is that he's very good at inducing soft contact and the pirates defense is not bad. I'm not saying that we have gold glovers all over the field, but you know, 
we were about league average, and I think that will really help him because he, again, he did, he was above average in soft contact. He was, I was looking at the article that I put out, and he was, <clears throat> I'm sorry, he he was, um, he had the <clears throat> 20th best exit velocity among the 75 pitchers with 500 or more innings from that five year stretch I was talking about earlier from 2018 to 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, this is a player that uh, you get excited about, and you can plug him in right away. This is a an area of absolute need for the Pittsburgh Pirates in starting pitching, and you know you got another one here. Uh, before we move it on, I have to say I love these Steelers uniforms tonight. I'm watching this game, you know, casually over Marty's shoulder here. Beautiful look tonight in Pittsburgh. Um, maybe not on the scoreboard yet, but there's still time. Let's move on to the Rule Five Draft. Uh, Seth Beer, and I know you had the article on this one here as well, Noah. Seth Beer, uh, picked up by the Pirates. This is another guy with a very high ceiling, um, you know, dominant in college, power bat. What, uh, what do Pirates fans need to know about Seth Beer? And do you think this was the right move in the Rule 5 draft, uh, if any of them were the right move this go-round? Seth Beer, he was the uh, Astros 2018 first-round pick or one of their first-round picks. And he did really well when he first got to uh, the professional level, and and then he was involved in that, and then he was involved in the Zach Greinke trade. That was the, that was pretty, and he was a pretty high profile piece that he went over because you know, you're talking about a recent Rule Five draft guy, someone who's hitting very well in the minor leagues, and he's being traded for one of the best pitchers, not just in baseball now, but really one of the most underrated pitches of all time. And he got a lot of attention with that. And he continued to hit throughout the Diamondback system, but he kind of stalled out at triple a, I mean, it was the PCL. So it was a very hitter friendly league, but his numbers really weren't there. No, his numbers were good, but they weren't like over the top great. And he really hasn't been given too much of a uh, chance in the major leagues. He has less than 150 plate appearances, if I remember correctly. But uh, you know, it's kind of one of those like, well, we don't really have too much first base depth right now. Malcolm Nunez is probably our most major league ready guy. And it's like, we're only taking a guy in the rule five minor league phase of the rule five draft. So we don't, they don't even have to include him on the 26 man roster. So what risk is there to add a guy who was a first round pick hasn't hit bad in triple a and double a had a pretty good year last year at uh, the diamondbacks, double a for the diamondbacks, double a affiliate. If I remember and Again, it's a position that we don't have very much depth at, so why not see what he can do at AAA? And I, I'm not saying, law oh, we should eventually give him the a starting role or we should platoon him with Connor Joe, but hey, you know, he's a fir- former first-round pick, hasn't hit bat throughout the minors, and for what we're giving up, which is only a few thousand dollars for the to take a guy from the Rule 5 draft, there's it's really just a no-risk upside pick. Yeah, and you know, one thing with Seth Beer, too, is like ultimately, you know, you mentioned Malcolm Nunez and you mentioned a lack of first base step for the Pirate organization. If you're going to look at the at the AAA level and who's going to be playing first base and your options for, you know, go-to guys, you know, up in the majors is Malcolm Nunez, Mason Martin, or Seth Beer, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's Beer. You know, he's got major league experience. Like you said, Noah, not a lot of experience. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mario. I'm pretty sure Mason Martin is a uh, minor is league free agent now. 
But, but that's another thing. Like if you're either keep Mason Martin around or have beer, like you're going to go with the guy who's played in the majors, the guy who's a former first round pick. And like you said, up till last year, it always hit well in the minors. So there's definitely, um, you know, something there to potentially work with. And if it doesn't work out, like whatever, you gave up nothing to get him. So I, I will be intrigued to see what happens there. I mean, you just look at last year in the minor league portion of the world five draft, you landed Joshua Palacios, who looks like could be a pretty solid fourth outfielder in the major leagues for you. Excuse me. So there is talent to be found there sometimes. And another thing we're on the, while we're on the topic of the Rule 5 draft, I will be curious to see with the Braves and with this trade with Marco Gonzalez is if the player to be named later is potentially someone who was Rule 5 draft eligible and Atlanta wanted to wait to look on the other side of the draft to make sure the player was not going to be drafted before completing the trade. Because, you know, if you trade for a guy only for them to be selecting the Rule 5 draft a day or two later, that's a real pain in the neck if you're Atlanta. So I will be curious to see, you know, I I can't really think of maybe like a Jace Bowen, something like that. I can't really think of anyone else in particular that comes to mind that was Rule 5 draft eligible. But um, I will be curious to see if potentially that's the case. It was someone who the deal was worked out between the Pirates and Atlanta. Hey, Atlanta says, hey, we like this guy. He's Rule 5 draft eligible, which make this a player to be named later because if he's not taken, that's who we'll take. If they are taken, we'll reconvene then and figure this out. Do you think Malcolm Nunez is a possibility there? Maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, I can't say without knowing much about Atlanta and what they're looking for. I just – I said Jace Bowen because to me of the players they left – and none of the, none of the Pirates uh, – players who were left unprotected in the major league portion of the rule five draft were selected. Um, but in my opinion of the guys who were left unprotected, Jace Bowen's probably the best player of the group with the highest ceiling. So that's why I thought Bowen, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I wouldn't be, I'm not going to be stunned if we, if we find out that the player to be named later is someone who's rule five eligible. And that's why Atlanta wanted to go player to be named later route just to make sure they were going to uh, trade for a guy only to then lose them to the rule five draft, you know, 24 hours later. No, it makes sense. It's a really good point. And uh, yeah, I bring up Malcolm Nunez because I believe this is the second year in a row that he has been left unprotected. Um, you know, which unprotected last year as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, it makes you think about that, that Quintana trade. Johan Oviedo has shown really high, you know, high highs. Uh, and overall, you feel comfortable with some of the strides that were made this season. Obviously, the injury now leaves you you're wondering. But uh, looking back at that, Johan Oviedo deal that, I mean, excuse me, the, uh, well, I guess Johan Oviedo deal, but really Jose Quintana deal that left us feeling so good. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, turning a little bit. Omar Cruz, I believe he was a part of, I'm forgetting, gentlemen, was it the Adam Frazier deal with San Diego? It was the Joe Musgrove. Joe yeah. Musgrove deal with San Diego. He was selected, uh, I believe, by San Diego. Uh, again, the Pirates lost Dario Lopez as well, who was the highest rated prospect in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft as well. Uh, I think two more, uh, Rafael Escalante and Romy Garcia had his to Tampa as well. Uh, but Seth Beer comes to Pittsburgh in that minor league portion. Uh, and like you said, Marty, the Pirates do not fortunately lose any of the unprotected players in the major league portion of the Rule 5 draft. Um, before we move it along, anything else you guys wanted to touch on there with uh, what felt like a relatively quiet Rule 5 draft generally for baseball? 
I know a lot of people were upset about the Pirates losing uh, Dario Lopez. And I like Lopez, but I was kind of indifferent. It was one of those like, eh, we lost him. And, you know, it's not like I'm enthralled that we lost him. But it was also like, eh, it was, it was whatever. Because Lopez looked promising at one point, And he definitely shows some power in the minor leagues. But he walked like... 5% of the time at double, at uh, Greensboro with a strikeout rate just over 25%. And his defense was already suspect. His running was already suspect. And then he tore his knee uh, or dislocated his knee at the start of this year. And that really puts you into question because you're talking about a guy who already wasn't a great runner or defender. And he just had a severe knee injury. That's always going to be a massive risk. And you're really only relying that, hey, maybe he eventually grows into being a decent hitter. But right now, the only th- good thing about his hitting is his power. I mean, you're talking about a guy who walked still about 5% of the time. And that's really, really low for a guy that struck out about a quarter of the time. So, again, it was one of those things I was kind of indifferent with when we lost Lopez, even though I saw a lot of people kind of upset that we left him unprotected and he got selected. Yeah, I'm with you on Lopez. That's how long that guy who, like you said, he doesn't walk a lot. He strikes out way too much. He missed all of last season. He is coming off of a catastrophic injury. Um, and it's not it's not hyperbole to use the term catastrophic for his injury. And even pre-injury, like you said, Noah, there was questions about his athleticism. Um, he was an absolute butcher in the field, no matter where they put him. So that that's definitely one where I can get the sediment of people being upset about it, but ultimately that that's he, excuse me, for a lot of reasons, he was a player you were never going to protect. Yeah. Number 14, I believe uh, is where he was at in those minor league rankings. He's no longer a pirate, but that's not beer. The addition out of the minor league rule five draft. Uh, check that out on rumpunder.com. Noah's article breaking down the addition of Seth Beer and uh, all of our other content around the Rule 5 draft and, of course, around the winter meetings as well. Um, general winter meetings, guys. I know this is kind of what baseball is deemed as the true kickoff to the offseason. Um, you know, they get together, discussions begin, and things really start to get done. Anything else you guys uh, you know, felt passionate about from this past week uh, as the winter meetings concluded on Wednesday? I will say um, the Juan Soto trade, It's it just goes to show everything that's wrong with baseball. Um, push come to shove. It, it's the Yankees. It's, it's the Red Sox. It's the Dodgers. It's the Cardinals. It's the Cubs. It's the Astros. It's, it's the Rangers are a massive market. Like, it's those big market clubs who can afford it. I mean, the Yankees have made it known. They they don't care about the the luxury tax this year, and they're not done after getting Soto. So, I don't know. I just feel like the Soto trade just, again, goes to show how badly baseball needs a salary cap. I understand baseball will never get a salary cap, um, but I, I feel like it just goes to show how badly it's needed. And, you know, it's still going to be hilarious next year when, despite trading for Juan Soto, the Yankees still don't win the American League East and probably finish in third behind Baltimore and Tampa Bay. I was going to also say, I mean, I, I know what you're saying with all the uh, with the Juan Soto, like 
how it's a, it can be a problem when you see teams spend that much. But you know, re- remember, I mean, the Padres acquired one Soto two for all those prospects, and they made the postseason. But last year they weren't in the postseason. They traded one Soto, and I mean, look where they are now. They they did give up a lot. The Yankees did give up a lot to get one Soto, but. I mean, obviously, it wasn't as much as the Padres gave up. So it'll be interesting to see how that trade plays out because that's definitely like the the Yankees are definitely just the Yankees definitely are just going for it regardless of how much it costed. Because I mean, Juan Soto is only only under contract for one year, so and they give up a lot of controllable players for that. It'll be interesting to see just how that one will boil down. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the Padres going for the Soto, and I do. You know, looking back on it, it kind of adds up. You know, you saw the Padres just going all in on guys last few years, right? And then you started getting those rumblings late in the season that the Padres are going to look to shed salary this offseason. And then uh, Peter Seidler, I mean, you know, rest in peace, passes away. And it makes sense where, hey, the owner knew he didn't have much time left and he wanted to go all in to try and win a World Series before he passed away. And I can respect that, man. I really can. And uh, now we see the Padres tearing it down as a result. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was an interesting move by the Yankees because, like you said, no, they gave up a lot of really controllable, intriguing pieces for a one year rental on Juan Soto. Now, if you're the Yankees and you win the World Series this year and Soto walks in free agency, it's worth it. It is 100% worth it if this move brings that 28th ring back to the Bronx. But it, it will definitely be interesting to see what happens on that front. And they could, you know, and that's all fine and good, but uh, it's it's a risk. And you said I'm already made it is everything wrong with baseball. Um, but Juan Soto is a Yankee. We'll see how it goes. And it's so funny, too, because, I mean, you look at this past offseason, or I guess the, the beginning of uh, the playoffs, the Yankees weren't a part of it. And I guess my thought, I think a lot of people thought, well, they'll blow it up. They'll make, you know, they'll fire the guys they need to fire. They'll bring in a new manager. They'll Ownership, whatever. Not ownership, but uh, general manership. Whatever the case may be, they're going to blow it up, restart, and um, you know maybe home grow it a little bit more than they have in the past. No, it's the Yankees. They now have one Soto, Alex Verdugo, and a trade from the Red Sox. Uh, just a sixth trade that the Yankees and Red Sox have made together, um, I believe, since the modern baseball era started. Uh, so, you know, fun uh, winter meetings if you're a Yankees fan. You're a Red Sox fan there as well, and uh, maybe if you're a Padres fan, because you know, like you said, Marty, rest in peace. But you do begin to tear this down and um, reset in a way from what has been a frustrating, I'm sure, couple of seasons. If you are a Padres fan, um, let's move it along, gentlemen. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, trying to figure out a TV deal. We touched on it right to start the episode. This is, uh, I think, a bidding war, if you want to call it that, between AT&T Sportsnet or if the Pirates are going to give over their broadcasting rights to Major League Baseball. And uh, I'm going to be honest, guys, I'm not exactly sure how all of that works. Uh, if one of you two has a better explanation, um, you know, or maybe what uh, what is going down here with this deal in general, and uh, ultimately why this is so important for the Pirates to get it done earlier than later is they try to figure out what they're going to do television-wise in 2024. Marty, uh, you want to get us started there? Yeah, basically the Pirates have two options. Like you said, trade. They can join, you know, for formerly AT&T Sportsnet, now known as simply Sportsnet Pittsburgh, where the Penguins have gone, um, or to allow Major League Baseball to take over the broadcasting rights to their games. Um, 
Probably the, the, the old deal with AT&T Sportsnet, I believe, was worth in the like 50 to $60 million range. So you're probably looking to get something at least similar, if not better. You mentioned how it impacts the offseason. And this is where, you know, just – and this isn't a – being a fan of a pirate is tough here. And this would impact a lot of teams, but the pirates more so than others. If you don't – it's frustrating to hear for baseball fans. I get that. But if you don't know where your TV contract money is coming from or how much it's going to be, it becomes more difficult to do things in free agency because you honestly don't know what kind of money you're going to have to play with. Um, the The number one source of income when it comes to money to put back into your payroll for a major league baseball team comes from your yearly TV contract. Um so without that right now, that makes things more challenging for the Pirates. So hopefully they can get something figured out quickly. I mean, obviously they'll have something figured out by opening day. I'm assuming they're going to wind up on Sportsnet Pittsburgh along with the Penguins. Um, I hope they do because I will say um, I have loved the revamped and anyone who's listening who's also a Penguins fan will get it. The, uh, the revamped Pens coverage this year with – you know, the, the hour long pre and post game shows with even our nights when the Penguins are on national TV, Sportsnet Pittsburgh still doing pre and post game shows. Um, you can see the investment that is there on improving the product with the Penguins locally. Um, and that's not a product that needed improved, but you see that. And I'm hopeful that there can be something similar with the Pirates. So hopefully that will get done. I don't know if it will. Um, Something will be done by opening day, without a doubt. And like I said, if I had to guess, I would guess it's with Sportsnet Pittsburgh still. But, you know, to go back to the Padres, the Padres are a team who have given their TV rights contract up to Major League Baseball. So we'll see what happens, but I'm assuming they will get something done with Sportsnet Pittsburgh before opening day. Before they go to Miami on March 28th, something will probably be done there. What, what does that look like if they give it over to Major League Baseball? Is that, you know, get sifted into Valley Sports or whatever they assign? Where, where can we watch the Pirates if it's not sports? That's the thing. I'm honestly not sure. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what the Padre deal is. I don't know if it's still – if they still give the production rights over to the local company or what. Um, I mean, I'm assuming – like you're still gonna have to broadcast the games locally, right? It's gonna have to be on Sportsnet Pittsburgh, on the Pittsburgh CW, KDKA, something, something local is gonna stuff to carry these games. Um, and ultimately, that's why I think something probably gets done with Sportsnet Pittsburgh. And part of it too is you have the the on air personalities, right? You, the, your pirate guys, Greg Brown and Bob Walk and John Wayner and, and Joe Block and the guys who are more Pittsburgh in general cover both the Penguins and, and the Pirates, rather be a Rob King, a Paul Alexander, whoever it may be, um, you know, with those guys there too, I think that that's part of the incentive to get something done with Sportsnet Pittsburgh. And part of the reason why I think something will get done with Sportsnet Pittsburgh, but I don't know. It's wild to me because I just, I, I remember growing up and everything was so regional in every sport. And like, I remember I'm a, I'm a guy who I can remember as a part, part of what made me fall in love with sports as a kid 
was every night flipping on Fox Sports Net Pittsburgh, watching Sports Beat, you know, Stan Saverin, God rest his soul. Like I When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm I'm not the sports fan I am today without Stan Saverin, without Guy Junker, without that crew. And that's where this is crazy to me because I think of, you know, growing up the local sports and that being what got you hooked on sports was watching – you know, to with me, it was watching Pittsburgh Sports Night on Fox Sports Net with Stan Saverin talking about the Penguins, talking about the Pirates, talking about the Steelers. Like that, that's what turned me into the the person I am today. And a lot of fronts with sports and and continuing to, you know, do what I do with Rum Bunter and with other friends. Um, yeah, and that's where it's just, it's weird to me to see that changing of the guard. But yeah, I don't know. I think something gets done. With Sportsnet Pittsburgh, I would be surprised if it doesn't, and I would assume it's done before they go to go to Miami for opening day in March. Yeah, you know that's the that's the immediate thought is like, well, what happens to the personalities? You know, what happens to the the broadcasters and and all of that stuff? Uh, I was always a root sports guy myself. It was sad to see that that go away there, uh, but we'll see here, and it really will affect you know, how the rest of this offseason unfolds and, um, you know, of course, what it's going to look like in 2024. Uh, and, it, you know, it kind of makes you you look at a deeper question of, well, if the TV deal is going to determine so much of what happens this offseason, uh, you know, that's probably not a good thing. If, um, you know, if this sum of revenue is going to make or break what goes down moves-wise, and maybe it doesn't, but that's kind of the thought, I think, when you hear about this. Um but, you know, there's uh, affordability issues, I think, with certain players that the Pirates are interested in. Carlos Santana got some buzz earlier this week as uh, you know maybe one of those guys. It was a, a Twitter thread and friend of the podcast, our guy Jason Mackey. Excellent coverage, um, you know, not just throughout the season, but of course, throughout the offseason as well. He was uh, he made a tweet and I don't want to. Uh, not reference the right accounts here. I believe he was tweeting with Bucko's Ball was the account that he had responded to, um, talking about how the Pirates 
probably wouldn't do seven and a half million dollars for Carlos Santana if that's what he asked for. And my first thought was, well, they can't afford seven and a half million for Carlos Santana. That's that's an issue. You know, who can they afford? What are they going to do? But, um, you know, you said it a little bit ago, Marty. They just maybe that's a guy they don't want to pay seven and a half million to. There's somebody else, a better candidate, um, you know, whoever that may be, maybe a different position, maybe another first baseman that they would uh, extend an offer of seven and a half or more to. Um, because, of course, a lot of the guys we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, previewing this offseason, they're going to be guys that cost more than seven and a half million a year. Uh, Noah, let's kick it back to you here. Uh, and talk about a few guys that you maybe think the Pirates, um, you know, would give a, a sum of money to greater than And what is most likely? Is it Carlos Santana or is it somebody else? So Carlos Santana, like you were saying, it's maybe it's not that the Pirates can't afford him, but more that so that they don't want to spend that much money. And I, I could see why. I mean, he's almost 30. He's going to be 38. Now. He turns 38 in like the first week of April. He isn't coming. He's not coming off a terrible season. I mean, he was about a league average batter with a great glove at first base. But, you know, you look at some of the underlying numbers and it's like uh, career worst eggs of velocity, career worst hard hit rate, career worst barrel rate. And it's like, well, at 37 and almost 38, how many more? I mean, that is it. Is that just a sign of the power declining? I mean, that could be a real concern. I mean, how, a lot of guys when there aren't too many productive MLB batters who are 38, and you know, I, I wouldn't. I would welcome Carlos Santana back with open arms, but I could kind of see if that happens to be the case. I could kind of see where the Pirates are coming from. Uh, say that well maybe we don't want to pay Carlos Santana almost eight million dollars for someone who had a good season had an okay had a decent season not an over the top but still a decent season but is getting older and there's definitely some worrying factors to him but you look at other guys on the market I mean I think one guy who I think would fit well is uh Brandon Belt in a platoon with Connor Joe at first base he hit extremely well against right-handed pitching last year. And he was mostly used as a platoon for, uh, for uh, Toronto last year. And, you know, on top of that, he can be a decent defensive first baseman. I mean, he's not, he's not what he was like five, six, 10 years ago, however long you want to say when he was a consistent gold glove contender with the giants. But I mean, he can still do well at first base and, he had a 150, 146 uh, WRC plus against right-handed pitching. He had an OPS of almost 900, a Woba of almost an Woba of almost 400 against right-handed pitching. And you know, you think about well, how well Connor Joe can hit left-handed pitching. That's a very productive platoon there. If you were to sign someone like Brandon Belt, who did who not only did well against right-handed pitching last year, but has a very good history facing right-handed pitching. He hasn't had a WRC plus below a hundred against uh, right-handed pitching since 2011. So you get that, you get a decent glove and you might get really good production out first base when you pair him with uh, Connor Joe. Marty, if you had a platoon candidate uh, that you liked the most, would it be Brandon Bell? 
Yeah, with me, I know we talked about this off the air a little bit, but I think Roddy Telez makes a lot of sense also. Um, he's a guy connected to Ben Sherrington. Ben Sherrington was with the Blue Jays when he was drafted. Um, not going to be an expensive ad. And I I know I told you guys for start recording. I normally don't put a lot of stock into this kind of stuff. You know, your, your numbers at a ballpark. But a left-handed hitter at PNC Park, I will put some stock into those career numbers. And Roddy Telez has mashed at PNC Park in his career. So I think I would look to go that route. I think Roddy Telez and Connor Joe as a first-base platoon, also having Joe available to play the outfield if you'd want, um, could give you really good results. I think you would get better numbers from those two while spending less money than you would get from Carlos Santana. You know, with Santana, it – the way I read that tweet from Jason was it's not that they can't pay seven and a half million. It was more of, Hey, we would rather spend that money on the starting rotation or something of that sort. We have a bigger need, maybe the outfield than we do at first base. Right. Because with first base, it's an issue. There's no doubt about it. They need to address first base, (laughs) but you can find somebody to platoon with Connor Joe pretty cheap. Um, you're not going to get good starting pitching cheap. You're not going to get help in the outfield cheap. So I think it was more about not so much. It's not an issue for the Pirates don't want to spend that money. It's more of an issue of how the Pirates want to allocate that money. And honestly, to circle way back to the beginning of the show, the current state of the starting rotation, I would much rather them allocate that money into the starting rotation with a Jack Flaherty, a Michael Walker, Michael Lorenzen, um, you know, whoever it may be over allocating that kind of money to first base when, again, you could probably get pretty good platoon production from first base for a, a, a less money than that. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're both problems. Uh, I'd say one's a dumpster fire. The other's, you know, a house fire, a larger, uh, a larger issue, no doubt. And I think that's where the money should go. I think that's where the money probably will go. Uh, and, you know, Noah, I know you had some names and we tried to, before the episode started, aggregate a few different articles, tweets, whatever the case may be, to, to put together some names of potential pitchers that the Pirates could go acquire. Uh, but you know what? Let's start a new segment. Let's call this uh, let's call this Noah's list. And, you know, maybe we don't have you on every episode throughout uh, this offseason, Noah, but I am going to get this list from you before we record each episode, because I, uh, I'd like to know who you got on your list of potential Pirates pitchers in 2024. Oh, there's Angie's list. There's lists out there, but this is Noah's list. This is what we should call it. Noah, who you got on that list? So definitely now, before going into this uh, winter meetings, it was definitely Wade Miley. But Wade Miley was signed by the Brewers again, and I felt like that was a perfect fit. Veteran lefty. Who's veteran lefty starting pitcher? And Ben Sherrington loves those. Loves those. You look at every offseason he's been with the Pirates: Derek Holland, Tyler Anderson, Jose Quintana, Rich Hill. So I thought that would be a good fit. So I think now maybe Hunjin Ryu. I mean, he's he didn't pitch bad last year. He was very good when he came off Tommy John surgery. He pitched decently in the second half of the year, and you know I know he didn't pitch very much, but again, he's now a year removed from. He's another year removed from Tommy John, and I'd like to see what he could do on – I'm not saying that he should be right now the Pirates' number one target, but hey, if you slot him into the number four spot behind Keller, Gonzalez, another free agent addition, and then Ryu, I think that's a pretty good number four guy. Uh, but definitely number one on my list right now would be 
Seth Lugo or Michael Walker. Seth Lugo, he got a chance to start games regularly with the Padres. He worked a lot as a swingman, long reliever type for the Mets for years. Uh, Padres signed him last year, put him in the rotation. He was very solid. And I think he can repeat that again next year. You look at some of his more underlying numbers, definitely some promising stuff there. And I think that he could be someone who could give you 150 innings and give you, you know, like a 380 ERA, which, hey, I'll, that's, would be outstanding. So I think that he should be one of the guys that the Pirates put high on their list. Another guy, I, Michael Walker, who I just mentioned, you know, longtime Cardinal rival, uh, signed with, has had two very solid years the last two years. I think he's put up identical ERAs or at least ERA pluses last two years, 127 ERA plus. And again, very solid pitcher, very solid veteran. Another guy might come in, give you 140, 150 innings and just really lock down that lock down a rotation spot. But on the trade market, you've heard that the Marlins are definitely going to be listening on some of their pitchers and, uh, the guy that I like is Edward Cabrera. He was a top 100 prospect every year from 2020 to 2022 on most lists, and he was very. He was. He's been up and down in the major leagues. Very good his last year, his rookie year, kind of uh, up and down this past year. About a league average pitcher, but uh, kind of a effectively wild guy. I mean, he's a guy, he sits like 95, 97 miles an hour, tops out like 98, 99. But uh, and had a walk rate of like 15 percent, a whip over 140, but very but still got results, got gets a lot of ground balls. gets a lot of soft contact, gets a lot of strikeouts. And I definitely think that he would be my number one trade target to go after right now because the Marlins are listening to guys. Maybe a more of a low cost uh, rebound guy on the Marlins, uh, Trevor Rogers. A couple of years ago, he had that outstanding rookie season. I really think he should have won rookie of the year over Jonathan India. I mean, you look at yeah, an ERA below around 250. And, and that's not just because I not just because the Reds are in the division, but I mean you look at how good his rookie season was and the last few years he hasn't been great, or when he has been pitching, it hasn't been great pitching. But from everything I've read, looks like he's healthy, he'll be ready for spring training. There shouldn't be any issues with that. And you know, you get him. He's still young. I think next year he'll only be 25 or 26. And again, if you you buy low and he rebounds and you get something, even a, if you even get half of his 2021 rookie season, that's still a very good pitcher. I mean, he had an ERA very well below three. I think, like I said, I think it was around 250. So, I mean, those are definitely some of the guys I would look at on the trade market. I mean, I, there's a, a few I mentioned in my uh, there were a few guys I mentioned in one of the recent articles I posted. Some guys to look after, to look at after the winter meetings are over. Yeah, you you mentioned Miami, and I think that's a, a fit. It's a natural fit, you know. <clears throat> excuse me, Nick and I have heard from some sources within the industry that the Pirates have been in discussions with Miami about their starting pitching. I think my question would be because Miami wants middle infield help on the long term scale. Because I know my answer, so I'm curious yours. Would you move if this is what Miami wanted? Would you move Tamar Johnson for one of their young starters? Who it would have to be? It depends which young starter and how many of them are coming back. Because let's if you're say just saying, if, if it's Edward Guerra, or let's say. It's 
I'm sorry, you cut out there. Edward Cabrera and who else? Or Lazardo. Luzardo, Luzardo's so – he's been great when healthy. Last year he finally stayed healthy and he pitched outstanding. That would be one I might consider depending, <clears throat> but it'd still be very hard. I would think about it, but it's, again, I would say it's extremely, extremely hard. I don't think I'd do it, but I would definitely at least consider it because of how badly we need pitching and how many mill infielders we, we could potentially have. Again, I'm not saying I'd make it. I don't think I'd make it, but I'd at least think about it. Excuse me, Trey. I see the doctors think no. When I look at the Pirate form, the only player I am 100% not moving under any circumstances, Paul Skeens. Lamar Johnson is the closest thing to him other than that. But if I could get Cabrera or Lazardo from Miami for Tamar Johnson, I am doing it. Now, if the Marlins offered me Cabrera and Luzardo for Johnson, then I think I would have to consider that because that's two young starting pitchers, very high ceiling, have done well in the major leagues for a second base prospect. And, you know, Tamar's an outstanding second base prospect. He did so good in the second half of last year. But again, you're getting, if you, if they offered Luzardo and Cabrera, I don't think they would, but if they did for Johnson, I would absolutely accept that. I think I would think about it. It would be hard, but I think I would have ended up accepting that. I I get the struggle, but I mean, part of this is I, I, I've met this with you guys before on here, on Slack, on different things. I think part of it is with me being the, the elder statesman of the group at Rum Bunter. Not that it says much because I know I'm not old, but being the elder statesman of the group who's had to suffer through the most of this organization, I want to win. I am willing. I have seen so many just can't miss – from Pedro Alvarez to Gregory Polanco, I don't know. Been not pan out. That's not. I would move the non-pitching prospect for pitching help. I am. It's, what about Zach? What about it Zach? would have to be. It would absolutely have to be both, though. I don't think I could do it for one or the other. It would have to be both. one. Now, if it's, if you're moving to Mark Johnson, you're going to get more than just one of those two in return. You're not going to get both of them, but I think you're going to get one of them and another piece that can help now in the majors. I'm making that trade. Like it's, it's, I, I don't know. Um, that was just me spitballing because I know the Pirates and Marlins have had conversations on party pitching, and I know the Marlins would help. And I also know that neither Leo Lucero nor Nick Gonzalez are going to get you worthwhile party pitching. I, I think that I don't say, I don't think Piguero is valueless, but. I, I mean, he didn't. He didn't do bad when he first got called up. Struggled down the in September because he he struggled in September. I've read some articles about that. I think he. I don't. I think there definitely be some value there for the Marlins who are looking for middle infielders. Right. And I'm not saying that he. I'm not saying him straight up is going to get you Cabrera, but I think that he could definitely be a headliner to a deal with Cabrera. I think if you ask me. that's just my personal opinion. I think with what else you'd have to throw into that deal at that point, Paguero is more valuable to you as you because I, th- I, I don't think Lavera Paguero. I think in a lot of ways he's Josh Harrison. He's never going to be that true everyday starter to set position. 
But I think he's a guy who bouncing all around the field as a super utility man can bring you a lot of value. I really do. But that guy's never going to net you that big top of the rotation arm that this team so sorely lacks in a trade. Um, and that's where I think Paguero's biggest value is to keep him, let him develop as that super utility guy that Josh Harrison was in 13, 14, and 15. Um, and, you know, look to get that pitching otherwise because they, they need something. They need something to go to the top of this rotation with Mitch Keller. They need something else other than what they have. Um, they, they've got, if, if they're going to be serious about 2024, they've got to do it somehow. I understand that you get into the summer and you may have Paul Skeens and Jared Jones and Anthony Salamedo, but one, Paul Skeens, to me, I put him aside. I think Paul Skeens is about as short fires of things you can get. Um, with Jones and Salamedo, that's not sure fire by any means. Um, especially their results, double A and triple A last year. And two, you can't win the first two months of the year. You sure as hell lose one. And by June, when those guys come up, we are going to they need to do something to the top of this rotation. If that means moving to Mark Johnson, he's not more important. As I've said, the only guy in this farm system I am not under any circumstances. But yeah, I, I would, if it meant getting one of those young arms from the Marlins and the deal was right, I would move to Mark Johnson. See, the one, the thing with, uh, Jones and Salamito. I mean, you got to look at how young they were, though, when they got to Triple A and Double A. I mean, they were two of the youngest players at those leagues, and not to mention that Triple A was so, uh, the International League that uh, Indianapolis in was so hitter friendly last year. Yeah. I mean, Jones had so, Jones like had an above all above average numbers, even though he had like what look like bad numbers if you just take a glance at them. I mean, I think the league average ERA in the International League was like over five. So Jones putting up above – Jones and Salamino putting up above average numbers given their circumstances, given that they were extremely, extremely young. I think Joe, Jones was 21, Salamino was 20, and them putting up average to above average numbers in situations where – or leagues where it doesn't really favor pitchers. I think that says more about – them than just the numbers themselves, if you ask me. No, I, I get that. And again, some of this is just me having been beaten down and just weathered by this organization. I've told people before, I was two months old when Sid Bream slid across that plate. Like I've, my life has consisted of the Pirates consistently letting me down from the, the time I was an infant. They have let me down. And I just, I have... I've seen it too many times before. It, whether it was Zach Duke, it was Paul Mahalam, it was Tom Gorzolani, it was Ian Snell, and then it was going to be Jamison Tyone, and it was going to be Jeff Locke, and it was going to be the, the fucking guy from Mexico that they gave all the money to, um, Heredia. Like, it was just, there was always one arm after another that was, you can't miss with this arm, and they all find a way to miss and I get that's not just a pirate thing. That's a baseball thing. And that is why the older I've gotten, the more and more I've gone from protecting my prospects to they haven't proved that anything in the majors, move them for major league help. And if it doesn't work out, you'll deal with it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, 
I get it. Yeah, and it makes sense. It, it it completely makes sense. The whole situation, the Marlins too, it makes a lot of sense. Tremar Johnson, and I'm not putting them in the same category at all. Tremar Johnson and Paul Skeens are guys that the Pittsburgh Pirates can only have on their team via the draft, in my opinion. And um, especially Skeens, that, especially that's Skeens, yes. You're not. Skeens in a different category. I get sure. I get Garrett Cole in the eyes of a lot of people didn't live up to the hype in Pittsburgh, and I think he was very good here. Um, and the him quote unquote and living up the hype had more to do with the pirates failing him with in his development than anything else. Um, but that's the only way you're going to get an arm like that, you know, a Garrett Cole, a Paul Skeens. That's in, in Pittsburgh in this market, you're only getting that arm for the draft. That's why there's no circumstance in which I move Paul Skeens. And you could probably find a middle infielder one way or another that could be a Termar Johnson, not via the draft, but I think it's it's rare, just the speed of which we saw him move in the second half, the, the pop, the natural ability. You know, a kid that I think one of the few times in my lifetime, and I think I've lived through 23 drafts now, uh, you know, it's one of the few times, and of course I don't remember the first 10, whatever, but it's you get excited about that pick. You see that pick and you think, wow, you know, that's that's a steal. This is a guy that, will move quickly that will be a a brand name in this game um i just but i hear it you know i completely understand the uh you know the, the don't trust your prospects especially if you're a Pittsburgh pirates fan um this is a guy that i i just i, I don't think you can make sense of trading um i think termar johnson not in paul Skeen's territory by any means but is a guy that uh the draft uh, gifted might not be the right word but uh you know, gave the Pirates in, in 2022. Uh, um, Jim Leland, I think, uh, was managing. Oh, I, that's, that's maybe not true. I was going to say his third straight season of winning a division with the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, just a, a few months after you were born there as well. It Martin, was, but... it was. That was year three. That was year three. Yeah. Oh, it was. To this day, to this day, my father swears the first time I ever heard him drop the F-bomb was when Sid Bream was called safe that horrible, <laughs> awful, terrible night in October of 92. It uh, It's you know, one of the many reasons that we are not super high in the Atlanta Braves here, but uh, we appreciate them paying that Marco Gonzalez $9.5 Uh, But that all aside, Jim Leland, Hall of Famer, congratulations. Um, Marty, expand a little bit more on what he means to the organization and just to the city of Pittsburgh. I mean, an absolute legend of the game in general, but you know, as a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, uh, what did Jim Leland mean to you? Yeah, to, to me, Jim Leland is, I, I mean, I know like with me growing up, I always heard from my dad, from uncles, from other friends' dads about Leland and what he was with the Pirates and you know, to, to me, Jim Leland was the manager of the Detroit Tigers. He did a lot of just awesome, awesome things as manager of the Detroit Tigers, taking them to the World Series twice, including that 2006 Tigers team, um, which was coming off the 2005 Tigers team, which was one of the worst teams in history of baseball. Um, three straight division pennants with the Pirates. Honestly, had it not been for injuries, probably would have also won a division pennant with the Pirates in 89. Um, you know, you go back to 92, if not just for – a calamity of issues. Chico Lean booting that ball at second base. Um, the home plate umpire who was not being on home plate start that game was back there because of an umpire injury happened during the game, forgetting what a strike zone was. Barry Bonds 
telling Andy Vince like to go fuck himself instead of listening to him when Vince like told him to adjust his position in left field. Um, Leland should have won a World Series with the Pirates. Um, and the fact they had to deal with a young Barry, Barry Bonds has said it himself. The fact Jim Leland had to deal with a young Barry alone makes Jim Leland a saint. Um, and Jim Leland encapsulated Pittsburgh. When you think of Pittsburgh, there are few places in this country you think of being a more of that just rough and tumble blue collar city than we are. And that was Leland, man. It's, He's so beloved here. He's always going to be beloved here. I'm so happy to see him go to the Hall of Fame. I'm going to guess he goes in as a Tiger, but man, I hope he goes in as a Pirate. I really do. I really, I, yeah, it would be. I really and truly hope he goes in as a Pirate. I'm going to assume, like I said, it's as a Tiger. He never got to World Series in Pittsburgh. He got to two in Detroit, won that World Series in Miami or well, Florida at the time, but. And I, I don't know if it ever happens. If it does happen, it's probably going to be after Brian Reynolds is no longer here. So, you know, we're talking, what is it, eight, nine years down the road. I hope they retire number 10 one day in Pittsburgh for Jim Leland. Um, and, hey, you know what, Brian Reynolds might put them in a position where you can't retire number 10 for Jim Leland because of the career Brian Reynolds has, and that would be pretty yeah. cool too. But, yeah, Jim Leland was Pittsburgh personified. And he managed this team and he led them out of the dark era of the cocaine trials and led them a young core of Vince, like in Drebeck and Bonds and Benia and Leaned and Spanky behind the plate and Bob Walk and just Zane Smith. That Those teams were so damn good in the late 80s and the early 90s. Um, and he led that crew. He led them to three straight division pennants. Like I said, would have been four straight if not for the injuries in 89. Should have won a World Series here. Just so happy for Jim Leland. One of my favorite people in baseball. Such a cool dude. Just over the moon to see him go to Cooperstown where he belongs next year. Yeah, World Series champion. Now Hall of Famer. And uh, maybe it will be as a Pittsburgh Pirate. Uh, Going to kick it back to you one more time, Noah. The Pirates are they're going to be drafting at ninth. Won the lottery last year. Can't win them all. They will be selecting a ninth in this upcoming draft. Uh, your thoughts on the draft lottery in general, I guess, and uh, the Pirates' ninth selection. I mean, the Pirates, I'm pretty sure that they would have ended up with the, based on when I was looking at the order, was the eighth. They had the eighth. If they just went by the original order, it would have been the eighth. But ending up ninth, I, I was real like every pirate fan. I was really hoping they had that three percent chance would come through and we'd get the number one pick. I don't think there's a single pirate fan who was was hoping that that wouldn't happen. And of course, I knew that the chance of that happening was extremely low. And I mean, it was only three percent. But again, any any ninth, that's kind of average that's about where i where i probably ended up at i was expecting to get that like set like seven through nine somewhere around there but uh the draft lottery is always interesting i mean i think didn't the reds get a top three pick and they finished like right around 500 or just slightly above 500 i mean it's kind of interesting to see with the new way it's set up with the draft lottery and how things like that can happen 
yeah, it's it's different. Uh, I've been done with the draft lottery model for a while. Um, when I heard it was coming to baseball, oh, and look at the Steelers making a hell of a comeback. I think that was just ended. Uh, man, Deontay Johnson. Um, but you know, I I think when a sport where there's already such a disparity in a lot of things, but in parity, um, you know, a, a sport that has, I guess, a lack of parity there. Uh, I don't know if a draft lottery is the best idea, but um, I played in the Pirates' favor last season. This year, I think, uh, like you said, it ended up pretty, uh, you know, pretty stable, right where they would have been around that eighth or ninth pick. So you can't uh, you can't feel too bad about it. As we wrap it up here, gentlemen, your, your closing thoughts in this episode on the winter meetings, uh, on what's to come here with you know potential suitors, and we will get another nose list before the start of the next episode. Update that list at least, but. Uh, Marty, your, your closing thoughts on tonight's episode. Yeah, I would just say there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, getting Mark and Gonzalez to circle way back to the beginning of the show um, is a good thing for this rotation. Um, but, man, losing Johan Oviedo, that's a big blow. That's a big blow. Um, there is a lot of work to be done in this rotation. In my opinion, if you're going to be serious about taking a step forward and potentially contending in 2024 – you need to add at least two more proven, legitimate quality starting pitchers. Um, I know I mentioned earlier that that group of Luis Ortiz, Bronzy Contreras, Quinn Priester, and Bailey Falter. This is not to say to completely give up on that group, but you can't go into the year with more than one of those guys in your starting rotation if you're serious about things. Um so, yeah, they, they need to address the starting rotation. They need to do something about first base yet, I still think. Between the outfield and DH, if McCutcheon's not going to be back, that's something we didn't touch on all this episode is Kutch. Um, I still think Kutch is back. If he's not, you got to figure something out because is Henry Davis your DH? Do you do something right field? Are you going to trade Andy Rodriguez for pitching? I, I don't know. Um, there, there's a lot of work to still be done between now and March 28th for Ben Charrington. Because as of now, as of we said here at 11.09 p.m. on Thursday, December the 7th, 2023, the Pirates have, and in my opinion, uh, it's a big gap. The Pirates have the worst roster in the National League Central. There is a lot of work to be done here for 2024 if they're going to take a step forward and compete. So, yeah, there, there's still a lot of work to be done by Ben Charrington. We'll see what happens. The offseason's young. Now that Soto's been moved, Shohei Otani, it seems like he's probably going to be signed by the end of the weekend. I think at that point, you really see the market start to open up more because teams who don't get so who didn't get Soto, who don't get Otani, are going to start um, acting accordingly. You'll start seeing more, more moves made. But yeah, like I said, right now, we said here on December 7th, this is the worst roster in the National League Central. In my opinion, there's a pretty big gap between the Pirates and the Cardinals in terms of who's fifth and fourth. Um, so, yeah, a lo lot of work left to be done by Ben Charrington. And, and you can say that Ben Charrington didn't get up for your meetings getting Gonzalez, and still a lot of work to do. Like, he did a good job getting Gonzalez, but there's still a lot of work to do. 100%. I, I don't know if I 100% agree that we have the worst roster in the National League Central. Could just be the bias talking, but I just don't fully agree with that. But I do yeah. agree that there's – Still needs what was it? Who do you think has the worst roster? 
I still don't think the card. I mean, I think the Cardinals only the big addition of Sonny Gray's the addition of Sonny Gray's big, but you're still that Cardinal rotation is still very shaky. It's very much well. Here's our ace, and here's five. Here's three other number five. Here's four other number five starters. I know the Pirates don't have very much pitching depth, but I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I really could see everybody in that rotation, but Sonny Gray posting an ERA of 450 or higher. So that's a big, big thing to me to uh, something to note. But I mean, again, I just, I don't fully agree. I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be work to be done. I think there absolutely needs to be work to be done. And the off season is still young. There's still time. I just don't fully agree that they have the worst roster, but again, I'm just looking ahead to the rest of the off season. I hope we get some starting pitching hope and I hope we get at least one more position player. And, and the big thing to me is just resigning Kutch because I want McCutcheon back for another season. <laughs> yeah. I, I, will I, agree. I, I, think, I understand the argument that the pirate roster is better than St. Louis right now, especially the rotation. Cause I, I, I agree. I think, you know, Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson raised the floor of that rotation, but not the ceiling. Um, Sonny Gray, obviously, tremendous addition. But I, I think for me, a lot of it is banking on the guys from St. Louis, the Goldschmidt and Aaron Otto, whoever it is, who had a little bit of a down year last year to bounce back. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I can understand the argument that the Pirates are better than St. Louis. But ultimately – when you're sitting here arguing, are they the fourth best team or the fifth best team in the division? That just goes to show the work that that still that still needs needs to be done yet. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I I'm hopeful that something is done with the starting rotation um, between now and opening day because I, I think if you add to this rotation and, and you figure out this lineup, that there's a there's potential there. Um, and with you with Kutch, like. I've said it before. It's a lazy comparison. I'll keep going back to it. Roger Clemens in the later years of his career at the Astros were just one, one year deal after another. There's no reason to not keep doing that with Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon wants to be in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh loves Andrew McCutcheon. Just as long as Kutch can continue to play, and he proved last year he still has a lot in the tank, as long as he's got that and he wants to continue to play, he's made it clear this is the only place he wants to play. Just keep bringing him back. It's an, it's an easy decision. Even if he can't play the field, you can stick him at DH. Just keep bringing him back and let him play, man. Like, Kutch loves Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh loves Kutch. He was at worst like the third best hitter on this team last year. Keep bringing him back and make it happen. Yeah. I mean, it just makes so much sense. It's easy. Uh, and, you know, you figure after the, the playing career is done, um, you know, which we hope maybe two, maybe three seasons, uh, whatever the case is. You know, you see him, if he would like to, go into some kind of role with the team. Like Yadier Molina, I saw this past week, uh, named a special assistant to the head of baseball operations in St. Louis. I think, you know, a similar future is ahead for Andrew McCutcheon because, like you said, like the both of you said, this is uh, this is the guy. This is Pittsburgh's guy, and uh, well, Kutch loves Pittsburgh, so it's a match made in heaven, and hopefully in, uh, a match made in heaven for another season in 2024 Noah, as always, man, so great having you on the episode. Love hearing your thoughts. Love reading your work. Uh, thanks for Thank you. Time. Noah Wright, go check him out. On Rumbinder.com, like I said, the article there on Seth Beer, breaking all of that down. Uh, and you can always find his work there as well. You can find us on Twitter, at Rumbunter. Uh, tweets, you know, of course, like I said, taking you throughout this offseason. Um, but, you know, you're going to want to be followed up there as we get set for 2024 
get geared up for the rest of this offseason, what is to come, and uh, hey, maybe we'll get a TV deal signed here soon. Uh, one more congratulations to Jim Leland. The Pirates picking at ninth. The winter meetings are over for Marty Lee. My name is Trey Yanity. We'll be back here soon to uh, hopefully break down some exciting moves that the Pirates have made and, uh, you know, get rid of um, this dumpster fire called a meth house explosion. That is the Pirates pitching staff and first base. Maybe some corner outfield as well. Uh, but until then, have a great weekend, everybody, and let's go. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.